At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. Market insight and analysis. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber, along with Jim Cramer. And we are not live from the New York Stock Exchange. In fact, nobody's live from the New York Stock Exchange, but we are live. Jim is back at our headquarters. I am in keeping with our social distancing policy at a different location, of course. Carl has a well-deserved day off. Uh, Let's get right to the story this morning. Of course, the story is, well, everything going on in terms of the Fed and the Treasury, the efforts, of course, to stimulate an economy that is in free fall. And Jim, you just got off a call or an interview, I should say. It was a call as well with Secretary Mnuchin. What stood out for you from his comments? Uh, That you shouldn't let people off. Uh, And I want to point out that he did just uh, just got a correction here. He said on small business payroll two weeks, but he meant two months. I think that's important because two months means you do not let people off without. I think uh, I'm not saying it's irresponsible, but I do think that that everything is being done to keep businesses open, small businesses open. David, uh, with the Fed, I think they've taken off to me anything involving credit. I think that the secretary Mnuchin talked about anything involving liquidity. Of course, David, we can't produce demand. And that's why you you keep people around for two months. But they are not going to be able to produce any demand. So I think it is still going to be a burden on small business. Not really sure how that's going to be resolved. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. Of course, Jim, we did. uh, We were watching the futures, which appeared to be limit down at different points in the evening last night after, of course, Japan opened as well. Then we got a Fed announcement uh, this morning Uh, just to go quickly into it, of course, taking off the size limit in terms of the amount of treasuries and mortgage backed securities they're buying. And I think importantly as well, this direct business uh, Main Street Lending Program to support lending to eligible small and medium-sized businesses, complementing efforts by the SBA. How important is that, in your opinion? I think, look, in the end, our economy uh, is small business. In the end, those are the people that, that really are trying to figure out whether open or close. Uh, you can't be thinking about just now. You need to be thinking about when we beat this. If you wipe out small business, then the whole country is going to be run by Amazon and Walmart. We can't have that happen. The restaurant industry will not really survive. Now, remember, 50, we got more than 50 million people in service, David, and most of them do not work at yeah. Walmart. So I think it is just really important to be able to make it so that the average working person gets a, keeps the job. And that means you have to give the small business person money. And, and I think that the Dems and the Republicans favor that. Not really sure. I would love to be able to hear from Speaker Pelosi and from Senator Schumer how far apart they are, because, boy, Secretary Mnuchin indicates that they're very, very close. Yeah, well, time is of the essence, as we know, uh, and as as we know from, uh, of course, watching the markets as well. The reversal today certainly is on the Fed. The expectation is, as you say, that we're going to get something out of the Congress in the near term. And Jim, just to your point, and I'm sure you had these conversations, I certainly did over the course of the weekend with a lot of different people who run businesses, typically larger ones. But 
you know, everybody's trying to figure out a day by which, all right, this is my first layoff round, and that's coming this week, most likely, is what I've been hearing. This would be my second, because my sales are down 40, 50, 60 percent, and I know how long I can go. I mean, this is happening in real time, and those layoffs are occurring in real time. And that's not to mention, of course, as you point out, the person, you know, the, the, the small businesses, whether it's the person who works at a hair salon or a nail salon, the dog walkers, the restaurant workers, the garage attendants, the personal trainers and gym employees, and on and on and on, all those people who aren't working right now. Boy, you have a right, David. I mean, I think that we all have a common, uh, one thing in common in this country, which is that the person, the dry cleaner, where we get our hair cut, uh, where we uh, try to help local. It is, I mean, I, I try, look, I live in Summit, New Jersey. We're trying to figure out this weekend, how do we help local? Because every business is closed. And it sounds like that the Treasury Secretary understands that. I have to believe that Senator Schumer and Speaker Pelosi understand that. That's why I don't think that far apart. I would hate to see, look, we had the first, remember TARP, we had the failed vote this weekend. I think that that sent the market down limit, and I know that it's also creating such havoc that we're going to get the layoff announcements today. I expect big layoff announcements in the next half hour. But the one thing that we know can happen, David, is if they come together and make it so the small business feels like, okay, at least I can take care of payroll. The next thing will be rent. We have to be sure that there is uh, some sort of forgiveness on rent or else you'll say, well, look, it's not worth the effort. I sure hope that that isn't the case. I know. Well, we've t- you and I have talked for some time now, over a week, about forbearance up and down and how yes. that would work. Because, again, we hear things anecdotally, of course, but they are doesn't make them any less real. Uh, I'm hearing that rents are not being paid. And by the way, also by companies that are fairly large. They're just saying, no, we're not going to pay uh, at this point. And then the landlord obviously has to turn to the bank and say, well, we're not going to pay. And you need the forbearance up and down, Jim. And we haven't gotten there at this point. No. I'm not quite sure how we do. But that's sort of a very important component of this as money is not going to be flowing. Right. We've all been getting these emails from Tom Barrack. We know Tom Barrack at Colony Capital. He's been at point on commercial mortgages. Now, if you go to yeah. the, uh, the Dems, I just you know, I think commercial mortgages are really that important. That's where what Steve Leisman was talking about with the Fed. The Fed should be able to, it sounds like, back pretty much anything. So uh, provide liquidity is what I can say. So let's say you don't pay and then it goes up the food chain. It sounds like that the bills of a major real estate company, how much would like David Simon, Simon Properties to call in, that those companies are right. not going to go under. So many of them are connected with the stock market, David. And so you saw a lot of companies that are, say, mortgage REITs, really much evaporate last week. And because they had good dividends, you know that that's where the, uh, let's say, the elderly, the people who know their income, that's where they were. And what, what bothers me yeah. tremendously, David, is not just the job side, but the saving side, given who we are at CNBC. We seem to have, I think, better call on how you've got to protect the seniors who don't have a job and won't have income if this thing keeps going away. I know. And your point is a really good one, because we've seen dislocations or really what is a lack of proper functioning in a number of markets, Jim. There's been so much coming at us, I think, over this last week. It's hard to focus on one thing at one time. But our corporate bond market isn't working particularly well. 
The municipal market got blown out, as you well know. Right. The Fed appears to be trying to at least dealing with some of that, with initiating these liquidity facilities to sort of ease that crunch on corporate bonds. They're also going to be in the muni market, at least I think the short term side of it. And we're going to get to Steve Leisman in a bit for more detail. But we haven't even talked that much about some of these enormous dislocations that are going on in huge markets, Jim, that are not related to stocks. Although we can talk about ETFs as well that are trading very strangely. You're so right. There is a, a lack of liquidity to the point where people kind of, I think this opening will be met with heat-seeking missiles, people who need money so badly, David. And what, what I really want to caution people to do is when you buy up like this, remember, you have to have that bill pass. And then after the bills pass, we have to start thinking about the numbers that are going to come out. Unemployment numbers. We're talking about some people are talking about 30 percent unemployment. That's a daunting number that exceeds. uh, You're starting to talk about numbers that really take out the Great Depression. And yeah, we've never seen anything like it, Jim, ever. I mean, I can't you know, some of these numbers, as you say, 30 percent unemployment rate that down 24 percent print on GDP Goldman put out. And then uh, last week, it may even be higher now. And the earnings reductions that we're talking about for the second quarter, which are actually negative. So you're talking 100 plus percent decline in earnings. We've never seen anything like this. No, I mean, you go back and I spend more time reading about the depression this weekend than I did about Uh, current events, so to speak. And one of the things that really sticks out is the small banks, the small banks that provide the loans locally, they just shut their doors now. And then finally, uh, FDR said, listen, let's have a bank holiday. That would work in a time where we had uh, very slow reactions. We're in lightning speed. We got to make sure that those banks are equally as protected. There's so many entities, David, in this complex economy that if you even just leave one out, that could be the one that is like uh, Jenga. You know, it's Jenga. You pull that one out and the thing falls. I think they're trying to cover every single base. But if they don't get this legislative package passed, then these uh, gains are going to be uh, something that I say could evaporate in seconds. Yeah. Well, Jim, we've spent uh, about nine minutes talking about the economic um, crisis. Uh, let's move now on to uh the health crisis, of course, because it is not as though uh, the virus doesn't continue to spread uh, in uh, various communities around the U.S. Uh, and I did want to bring in uh, on this topic specifically and obviously more broadly as well to talk about what's going on. Uh, Michael Roman, he's the CEO, of course, of 3M. They are the maker of those N95 respirators that are in such demand and short supply right now. He joins us on the phone Mike, it is good to have you. And let's just start off right away with where things stand in terms of your ability to produce N95 respirators and get them to the communities in need, particularly in New York, hospitals there, in Seattle, and a couple of other areas around the country. Yeah, good morning, David. Good morning, Jim. Yeah, that's a, that is the top priority for us. Our highest priority at 3M right now is the safety of our people and the public and our team's really around the world are focused on supplying healthcare workers with the safety products they need. And here in the U.S., we have accelerated our, our production. Starting in January, we ramped up our production. We had a long-standing decision to invest in excess capacity, keep it idle, turn it on in times like this, and that's what we did. And we've increased, almost doubled our output from 19 million respirators to 35 million a month. And we are we are prioritizing the healthcare workers and 
we are working 24-7 to ship to those frontline healthcare workers. And, and we, uh, we continue to work to expand that capacity further in the near term and the long term as well. Yeah, is that U.S. capacity? You know, I wonder, Mike, there was a period of time, I know, when this crisis obviously was centered in China and the need was there. You have manufacturing facilities there, but we're unable to manufacture because obviously people were not coming to work, or at least a lot of people weren't. Is China manufacturing back on? And is that output going to end up back here in the U.S.? Or how does that work? We, uh, David, we actually were able to operate all through Lunar New Year, the extended shutdowns in China. We had special permits to operate because of the importance of the safety products we were producing. So we we ramped up in China starting in January as well, and we served the market there out of our production in China. We we manufacture these respirators in every region of the world, and that's uh, China was a great example where our team jumped on it, really ramped up to full capacity, and were able to meet the demand in, in the local market. Mike, uh, Jim, thank you for coming on. One thing that was, Morning, dis- Jim. Yeah, one thing that was disturbing to many Americans was that uh, to see at a Target in Seattle all the uh, N95s you wanted on a shelf, uh, I don't understand how that kind of dislocation occurs where we have the retail market have them, and yet over, you know, UCSF, they run out of mass. Uh, the, the, certainly many, many of the New York uh, hospitals really touch and go. How'd that happen? Well, Jim, as we ramped up our production, we came into the year, about 90% of our respirators go to industrial customers, sometimes through retail channels, in a normal business environment. When you have a crisis like this, we shift everything to healthcare. We, uh, we were able to do that with the implementation in March of the emergency use authorization from, uh, from the FDA and also the U.S. PREP Act. All of that enabled us to shift what are normally industrial respirators, the N95, over to healthcare workers. It, it allowed us, it gave us the, the, the certification that we needed to be able to do that. And that, that happened. Now, there was some inventory, as you would expect, throughout the supply chain from what was happening even as we came into 2020. So it's not, you know, it's disappointing when you see that because we're trying to redirect everything to healthcare workers, but it's, uh, it's that changeover and that shift. And now everything is going to healthcare workers. We are, we are producing and shipping directly to those healthcare workers around the U.S. When the uh, government, when our president contacted you, I believe uh, mid-February, uh, were you able to divert and get as many masks as possible here or was there just some sort of uh, miscommunication where they did not request what you what they could have? Well, we've been working closely with the vice president and the president and, and now FEMA to get respirators to where they're needed most. And we've been doing that every step of the way. It was uh, it was this uh, emergency youth authorization and the U.S. PREP Act that enabled us to shift everything into healthcare through all channels. So we have. You know, from the early stages in March, we've been we've been responding and shifting everything to healthcare. Mike, I want to get to the specifics of the problem here, and certainly a lot of it is in uh, our hometown, New York City. I mean, you know, a lot of people have seen this memo from the chief of surgery at New York Presbyterian. Usually, they use four thousand and ninety-five masks a day. They're up to forty thousand. He sees them going to seventy thousand. Are they going to run out of masks or are you going to figure out a way, along with obviously the local and state and federal government, 
to get these hospitals, the masks they're going to need at numbers they've never seen before? Yeah, David, we have we have prioritized New York and Washington state and we shipped uh, over the weekend more than 500,000 respirators into those cities. More than uh, 350,000 are landing in New York today and uh, coming into use. And we'll continue to to be able to prioritize and ship. We've arranged, you know, we are working broadly with partners. It's really impressive to see the way companies have stepped up there. Many companies are working in partnership with us to help extend our capacity. We're working with other companies to help us in logistics and expedite. We're ready to expedite respirators wherever they're needed. And New York is, a, is clearly a priority in the near term. And, and we are, as I said, we're getting respirators on the ground there, additional respirators. There are, there are other respirators serving New York through healthcare, uh, healthcare distribution uh, that we would normally be shipping to. And this is an expedited uh, shipment that's getting there today. Mike, is there any way to get back? Uh, just let's say if you go on Right now, I think if you go on Alibaba, there's masks. And there's tons of masks. Any way to get the masks from China back uh, just is a, kind of like a lend-lease program between China, which is doing so well, and our country, which is obviously bearing the brunt now, uh, with you being the broker. Yeah, we are working every angle to get additional respirators into the market in the U.S. And bringing them in from international manufacturing locations is one of the examples. We are working to really prepare ourselves for uh, this. The, we have to ensure that we meet the standards of the U.S. from the products. The, the standards vary slightly around the world, and so our team right now is doing that. And then as soon as we can bring uh, capacity from international in the U.S., we're doing that. All right, so what can we do uh, on, with the other part? You know everything about what goes into a, a healthcare worker, a doctor right now in an emergency room. What else can we get for them? Because I think everyone in America wants to help these people. We want to help the healthcare workers first. If we can do anything we can, whether it be make it so they don't have to pay taxes or make it so they have a gown, what can we all do to help those people? Well, we, uh, we are focused a lot on respirators in our company, but we, it's more than that. We're working on ramping up additional capacity for hand sanitizers, for disinfectant capabilities. We're working in partnership with many companies. It's amazing how many companies have come to the table with great ideas on how we can work together and even bringing some of the capabilities we have on our broader healthcare business to support them. So I think there is a, there's a broad effort and a very focused set of teams that are working to do that right now. I think that supporting them, really uh, supporting those teams is one of the best ways we can do that. Uh, keeping uh, a focus on uh, the supply chain that serves those companies in order to continue to supply into healthcare, that's an important aspect of it. Uh, even what we were talking about earlier, making sure that we have uh, the ability to move products and materials around the world, that we don't see export restrictions come into place. Those are all aspects of what we can do to work together to to solve that so that those are some of the things that from a you know company and and business standpoint that we're working together to to try to bring to the table mike given your knowledge of what's going on in terms of what healthcare providers need far beyond what your products are ventilators obviously being a key one do you think the president should make use of the defense production act to get needed supplies into the hands of these hospitals well, the administration is encouraging industry to look at the Defense Production Act as a tool to expand our capabilities. And I, that's the response I've been talking about. We are, you know, we are building on our capabilities and working together. 
to respond to COVID-19, including personal protective equipment, uh, other countermeasures, vaccines, ventilators. I think that's been a really positive part of the way the Defense Production Act has been presented. We're discussing this with the administration ourselves and working to partner in the supply chains. We're working with FEMA to make sure that together we're getting our respirators to where they're needed most. I think all of those are very positive and a steps forward as part of the discussions around Defense Production Act. So I think that's been a very positive step in in really encouraging everybody to find uh, find the solutions and get them to market. Mike, I, I, this is a little bit of an ethereal question, but I know, you, I know you as a human, I know you as a family person. Uh, between the uh, Dr. Fauci and what I read on, online, uh, there are some people who feel that 80% of the people in this country are going to get sick. Do you think, as a business person, I can't ask you to be Dr. Fauci, do you think we're all going to get it? Well, we are focused first and foremost, Jim, on our on the safety of our people. And so we have implemented all remote, remote working, uh, you know, the social distancing. We're separating our people and really focusing on their safety. We've implemented new operating procedures in our plants as we work to keep those running so we can continue to produce respirators. I would say that's, uh, I think that's the preparation we need to really get to the best outcome here. And, and that's, I think the measures that we're taking now are most critical. This is the critical time to act on those to uh, really prevent those worst case scenarios. Yeah. And Mike, finally, on that broader point, though, about preparing your company for a significant and steep economic downturn, perhaps the likes of which we've really never seen. Uh, you're obviously selling a lot of respirators, but there are other parts of your company that one would imagine would suffer as a result of a slowdown in economic activity. What are you doing to prepare the company for that? Yeah, we uh, we have activated our our crisis teams in the company, like most companies. And and one of the things we do is we are every day looking at the business scenarios and and what do we need to do to stay on top of that. That that crisis team, led by myself and my senior leadership, we are first and foremost focused on our people and on delivering for the public health crisis. But we're also looking at business continuity and making sure that we're considering the scenarios that are in front of us. You know, we are a very Come strong to me before you financially. Go to one quick line. Yep, we are a very strong financial company. So we are we are we are really putting ourselves in. We put ourselves in a position to manage through this well. Uh, Mike, uh, thank you for taking some time out from what I know is uh, an unprecedented period of time here for for all of us. Uh, Mike Roman is the CEO of 3M. Very much appreciate his joining us. Jim, uh, any thoughts here in terms of where we stand as we get ready for an open about eight minutes from now? Well, before we go to Steve, I know we're going to go to Steve Leisman. Uh, here's the first one. GE Aviation planning to reduce approximately 10% of its workforce. So there we go. This is what, yeah. we're at. This is what yep. we expect. This is why the market is very odd in terms of its rallying, because GE is first, but there are going to be many more. Steve, what do you got? Uh, just to get some more detail, Jim, on these programs. The Fed is uh, working hard on this Main Street lending program. They do not have a lot of details. What's clear is that to get this Main Street lending program going, Jim, the Fed's going to need this stimulus bill. I'm assuming there's an allocation in the stimulus bill. That stimulus bill will go to th- that, that money will go to Treasury. Treasury can use that as a backstop for the Federal Reserve to go out there and lend to small and medium-sized businesses. We don't know more about it. The Fed saying it's going to announce it soon. A uh, little more detail on the corporate bond program. 
If a company decides to defer interest in principal after six months, they cannot pay dividends or conduct share buybacks. So there's that restriction, but no particular restriction, Jim, that I can see on whether or not they can fire employees. The Fed not is saying that is not in there. Uh, finally, as you know, they have now said they will do as much as needed, which means they're just going to keep buying treasuries, buying mortgage-backed securities, and now commercial mortgages until this thing is fixed, but no real uh, sort of limitation right now or indication of when they'll stop. Just they're going to keep going as much as needed. Jim? I just keep hearing from um, people you know, in these see- markets that they're frozen, they're frozen, they're frozen. I just think that can't be true. I mean, maybe that's just people want a better price. After what you just said, the idea that it's frozen seems uh, chimerical. So, Jim, I think what's going to happen is this. The Fed has rolled these programs out step by step. There's, it's not a silver bullet situation, is my understanding, the way guys are talking to me in the markets. They need to be in place. For example, today, the critical money market lending facility is going to launch. That should help markets trade. It should provide critical liquidity. But as we found in every single, very much like the crisis, you, it's like whack-a-mole. You fed, fed does this here, you have a problem over there. Does it here, have a problem over there. So now it's getting to a place where it's going to provide liquidity and backstops for almost the entire credit market that's out there. Piece by piece, these programs are going into place. And we have only the slightest information or the slightest inkling yet that things have gotten any better. We'll see after today, Jim. I expect that maybe some of these markets will perform better. David? Yeah, Steve, real quickly, you mentioned the crisis, of course, because that's what we always go back to. But we've never seen the Fed do anything quite like this. No, that's, that's absolutely right, David. You were there step by step uh, when the Fed rolled out these programs. Um, and what happens now is the Fed's going further down the risk spectrum, taking risks it hasn't taken, backed up by the Treasury in a bigger way than it ever has been before. Steve, I know you'll be uh, obviously filling us in as uh, <clears throat> we get more and more details as this moves along. Steve Leisman. Going to uh, go to a quick break here. we got about uh, five minutes before we get what we'll call an opening bell. I think they may actually still ring it at the New York Stock Exchange. Of course, the floor is closed. Uh, and Jim and I uh, remain right here, ready to join you when Squawk on the Street comes right back. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Welcome back to Squawk on the Street. I'm David Faber, along with Jim Cramer. Uh, let's do a mad dash, uh, Jim, or let's just let me tell you what I want it to be on, if you don't mind. It's a request. Let's talk a little more about GE, because as you pointed out right before we went to Steve uh, Leisman, we did get news out of GE. The aviation division planning to reduce by 10 percent its total U.S. workforce. There will be a temporary lack of work impacting about 50 percent of its U.S. maintenance, repair and overhaul employees for 90 days. And they say these actions build on those businesses already has taken, including a hiring freeze, the cancellation of the salaried merit increase, a dramatic reduction of all non-essential spending and a significant decrease in contingent workforce. Uh, And also David Joyce, the vice chairman and president and CEO of GE Aviation, will forego half his salary. Jim, give me your take on this. Well, and also, Larry, you know, of course, the full full salary for the rest of 2020. 
Uh, I think the yes, important Larry thing Cole, is, right. is uh, uh, because they got the GE healthcare money uh, and they're obviously trying to do some ventilators, ventilator production, that they're not asking for a bailout. And I think that there's a, that term gets tossed around, Boeing not asked for a bailout. A lot of companies are very, very sensitive to the idea that, that bailouts were what people, the American people hated in 2008. They're trying so hard to be sure that people understand that it's just they don't have any demand, but they're still not asking for the, the government to give them a handout. Uh, David, the 50 percent furlough, uh, U.S. maintenance repair and overall employees for 90 days, again, makes sense. None of the airlines, so few of the airlines are really flying. I mean, both Boeing and GE are faced with what I addressed to the Treasury Secretary, which is this demand issue. You cannot create demand. And it's very similar to the Great Depression, where there were there was supply, but there was no demand. And they've got to stimulate something so that there's demand. We don't want. Remember, the Great Depression really ended when World War II started. That was the demand. It just kind of hung around and, and it hung around because there were no people who figured out what to do. Now, I know you got to go to the opening bell, David, so I'll give you that one. All right. Yeah, let's get an opening bell in and continue our conversation on the other side of it. Of course, this is uh, highly unusual, as is so much else that is going on in the world right now. Tom Green, the VP of Building Operations, uh, is ringing the bell at what, of course, is going to be an empty New York Stock Exchange. Over at the Nasdaq, I can only show you a, sort of an outside shot of Times Square uh, as there's no bell ringer there. But we are uh, we are going. We're getting moving today. Of course, we should point out that... Uh, Jim, we looked like we were going to be down. Then we looked like we might open much higher as a result of the Fed action. And now I'm trying to figure out where things are going to stand. What are you looking at? Well, I mean, look, I, I think that there are a lot of companies, particularly the retail, uh, uh, you know, all service companies. David, we always talk, we're a service economy. Uh, these companies, their workers could be bailed in the sense that they get the, the small to medium-sized business, get the money, and it would be a forgiven loan. But again, uh, you can't get outside. I mean, in New York, very typical, we don't have the ability to be able to shop. We don't have the ability to be able to go have a beer. And I only mention that not to be uh, soporific, but to just say, listen, you can give people, you can keep workers, but it, it would be great to have some cash flow. And the workers are only part of the equation. There's rent, there's suppliers. Uh, and, and so they take their toll on the small and medium-sized business. And you can't forgive rent uh, throughout the whole whole food chain because then at the top, people wouldn't be able to pay their bills either. And that's where the, the stocks are involved. That's when you start seeing the stocks that are in trouble. So I think that we're going to be uh, – the, the world is going to be divided between companies that don't need credit uh, because they are basically – uh, worldwide and, and have demand and those who need credit and the ones who need credit. Well, that's going to be up to the Fed. And I don't know whether there's going to be enough. They may try to make it enough. But, David, yeah. it's, it's such a fractured system versus the Great Depression, where there really weren't a lot of big companies that you had to worry about. I know. But how you, to your point, how you get the money to where it needs to be in terms of at least preserving some sort of a lifestyle for those workers who are paycheck to paycheck. Uh, and to stimulate some demand. I mean, this morning I had a, a conversation with somebody who owns garages in New York City, for example, Jim. Again, not something you'd necessarily think about, but not an insignificant business. Employs a number of hundreds of people, given how many garages they own. You know, their numbers are down 40 percent and going down this week, probably 80 percent. And the question is, how many of my workers do I furlough? How, you know, who of my vendors do I pay or not pay? And this is going on across the board, certainly in Key areas that are hit the hardest, but across the country. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I really think that what's happened here, David, is, is that no matter what they do, uh, uh, no matter what they do, uh, you still get like what Phil LeBeau is sending me now on average planes this week. We're, on, we're 20 to 30 percent full. And I think it's just going to go down, down, down. You have industries that all want to be bailed. And you do have the cruise industry. Uh, the president yesterday said that's an important industry. Uh, you have uh, air, airplanes uh, you have, with Boeing, an important industry. You have aerospace, an important industry. You have uh, travel, an important industry. David, there's too many important. Nobody's unimportant. Nobody, you know, if cruises are, are important, who's unimportant? And the answer is, is that the whole economy yeah. has to be saved. That's why I'm glad that, that uh, Secretary Mnuchin is talking about two months of, of payroll and also, of course, direct money to a family of four. OK, how about this, though, David? Who is more important? Everything that we heard, the Fed, the secretary, treasury or Gilead or Regeneron or Dr. Fauci or the drug that's uh, that 70,000. The people who are the the hydrochloric, you know, the the malaria drug, let's call it that. Yeah. And the the Z-Pak. I think those are all more important. And I think everything is just kind of a let's just keep the finger in the dike and let the scientists solve it. Uh, let's figure out a way to get yeah. people out of the hospital. Now, Len Schleifer, who I'm connected with pretty much every moment, and he's this, uh, of course, the CEO of Regeneron, is very hopeful. And I think this is important. He was not hopeful when this started. He was not. I do not have a direct line into some of the companies that uh, are, let's just say, um, on the exact ed- front line of testing. But I did get a note this morning from Mark Casper, who is from Thermo, uh, Thermo Scientific. He goes, uh, we have ramped up our production capacity to 2 million test kits and are ramping that capacity to 5 million test capacity uh, for uh, per week as we get into April. Tests are currently running in a number of labs and results can be gotten in a short period of time. We are seeing the number of test sites across the country that are utilizing our tests scaling up quickly. That's great because obviously we need to I mean, my view, David, and we're starting to get this whole sense is there's a debate going on right now. How do we make it so that perhaps we don't shut down the economy? Do we quarantine those 60 and over and just test everybody who's below that and get the economy going again? I think that may be something that is going to be on the agenda once we have unlimited testing. Obviously, right now we're just testing the people who seem to be uh, I need to go to the hospital. But, David, it is absolutely imperative that we make it so that the people who are under 60 get back to work as fast as possible and not be worried about their health. And I think that that's not stressed enough. We have to start thinking about what happens on the other side. uh, Listen, it is a conversation that is ongoing, Jim, and a lot of people are having it, which is, is the effects of a depression, and that's what we're talking yes. about here, greater than than the impact of a widespread and, and deadly, in some cases, virus. Because what's the world going to look like on the other side of this if we've endured month after month after month of massive unemployment uh, and incredible declines in, in, our, in growth? Um, it's, a, it's a worthwhile point. But I think the key one you make as well is we do need to rely on science. We need to hope that there is going to be an antiviral or some sort of um, combination, as you point out, that at the very least is going to modify, mitigate the effects of the virus to the extent that people are going to stop being as concerned about getting it. And if you can get to that point, then you can start restart activity uh, and we can sort of take it as it comes 
with the idea also of not overwhelming the healthcare system. But I don't know. How many months is that going to be, Jim? We're not talking about that happening next week. And the layoffs are happening every single minute. Right. Look, there's no uh, if there's no capital, no one's coming in the door Uh, as much as you want in two or three weeks. The secretary Mnuchin said to be able to get the money. uh, It is really difficult to try to figure out why you shouldn't just close your business. Now, obviously, if you have 500 employees, you, you have a real company. I'm not saying I don't mean to disparage the smaller companies. I own, I own three of them and uh, close two of them. And it's just very tough. And we're, you know, we're trying to give people the pay. But the problem is, David, is that you know, what happens three weeks from now? How long can you go? Um, and that's why I mean, one of the things that happens very interesting, uh, Governor Cuomo, I don't know whether people around the country got to hear Knox and know it was on some networks, but he talked about how the president is making the, uh, the hydroxychloroquine to uh, getting it, getting to the hospitals. So then the issue is we've all heard that this works, or at least the president feels good about it. Right. Do you want to be in the double blind right. test where you get the one that's the placebo? No. I mean, I would say no. I'm not going. I don't want the placebo. I want the one the president has a good feel for. So then that corrupts the the uh, it corrupts the the test. And I think I understand why Dr. Fauci has been saying, could we just slow it down? Yeah. Because you have the French. Obviously, everyone's so excited about what happened in France. But unless you do a serious test, then what happens is, is that we do create false hope. Uh, yes, we all hope this works and this EPAC curbs hopes. It works with it. And that's, I think, starts tomorrow. But uh, as someone who is trying to develop a drug, I I know that you got to get this right or else what happens is you just have a giant fiasco. Jim, let's step back for a minute and just take a look and talk about the market action, because, of course, like everything else, it's been somewhat extraordinary. Uh, Last night before I was uh, checking out for the night, uh, we were looked like we were going to be limit down in the futures, potentially have one of those 15 minute a halt early on. That changed, obviously, this morning when we heard from the Fed. And in fact, it was a huge reversal. And the broader markets looked like they might be up as much as two to three percent on that, uh, as Steve Leisman told us, uh, those actions from the Fed, the likes of which we've never really seen uh, in terms of it taking off the size limit on the amount of treasuries and mortgage-backed securities that it will buy, uh, starting to buy CMBS, Uh, and as well unveiling this direct business or Main Street program to try to get money to small and medium-sized businesses. However, we now find ourselves sinking on the S&P to the tune of over 3%. There is an absence of legislation, at this point at least, from the federal government and the Congress. Uh, You talked to Secretary Mnuchin at about 8.45 this morning. He indicated it's close, but we're not there as yet. And by the way, we are also looking at adding, I don't even know what the numbers are, $3 trillion, $4 trillion to the national debt? Take your pick. It does feel like that we're throwing money at it uh, more than, look, no one wants to be President Hoover, uh, who tried but didn't think big. People want to be FDR, but again, I think that FDR is not that great a role model because as much, he was trying to do anything. He was wherever you could throw money. He was trying to do it. But it turned out to be uh, something that made people feel better. But it did not bring back demand. And and, although the stock market bounced, I was wondering, I was reading a piece uh, written by Owen West, who's Tripp Guys, Bing West's son. And 
He's got some uh, credibility, David, because he was a partner at Goldman, assistant secretary of defense, served in the military. You know, there are 125,000 medical professionals in our military. I think a lot of people would feel good if those people were somehow more involved. Uh, Also, I think that it's time. I think Secretary Mnuchin can do it, but we do. I would love to see someone defining the problem. I would love to see someone who's the head of a task force, uh, someone who we could say, you know what, Uh, this isn't political. Maybe that's what it takes after we get this deal. I do wish that the, the, that the Senate would stop dallying because I think a lot of people feel like, wait a second, we just had our first failed TARP vote this weekend. Don't ask me to buy a stock. Don't ask me right. to put any money in this thing. Uh, the Senate has, can't even agree to anything. I think that that's part of the reason why we're getting yeah. a lot of selling. I know. But, Jim, a lot of people, for good reason, listen to you in terms of at least your senses to the market. And people are looking at their portfolios down 10, 20, 30 or plus percent. I'm sure certain uh, stocks, if they own individual stocks, more than even that. What do you tell them today? I mean, do we get to a point at which you feel as though the prospect of enormous stimulus coming from both the federal government and the Fed is enough to sort of bottom us in terms of stocks, even with the prospect of uh, unemployment numbers and lack of earnings coming, the likes of which we've never seen? Well, I think the market's much more bifurcated. It's a shame that we have such a thing as the S&P 500 or all these different ETFs because I did screen after screen 500 stocks. I did a 1,200 uh, stock. I did uh, everything that could imagine in terms of dividends. And you keep coming back to that a lot, a lot of companies are in jeopardy here. Uh, a lot of the REITs are in jeopardy. A lot of the retailers in jeopardy. Uh, the, a lot of the banks in jeopardy unless they somehow say, listen, you you know what, your bank is fine, uh, and we're also going to guarantee that they're going to be able to uh, maintain their solvency, and therefore their their loans are going to be good, and we're going to provide liquidity. I found so few stocks, David, where I really just felt like, you know what, it is just time to get in. But if they could get a bill passed so that people have some money, And maybe they're a little more creative and say, listen, we're also going to provide money for people to eat. Maybe I was thinking that it was one of the things in 1932, they had script. You basically got script. So you would go and be able to go buy food and go. You can use contactless to be able to buy local. They have to be more creative than they've been. Or else what happens is you just have. I, I came up with about two-thirds of the S&P that's very hard to own, and a lot of companies have to cut their dividend, a lot. So, David, you want to bring in uh, Duncan? Yeah, you go ahead. You bring, uh, you bring in Duncan uh, so we can talk about it. Well, again, these unprecedented times. I mean, just listening to you, Jim, just now talking about script yeah. and people needing and finding a way to get a hold of food. Uh, you know, it sort of takes your breath away that we're even having a conversation that includes that. Well, look, it could be my daughter in Madrid where she's accompanied by a policeman when she goes to the grocery store. And, you know, that's kind of extreme. But, you know, you don't want to cut to that. Hey, you know what, David, we have someone who, you know, for a very long time and uh, can speak to the idea that we have a a people-less New York Stock Exchange. Uh, Duncan Niederauer, former head of the New York Stock Exchange, Goldman partner, an old friend. Duncan, fill us in about what it's like to be able to make it so that you can have the New York Stock Exchange run like the Nasdaq. Hey, uh, good morning, guys. First of all, it's been a long time, so uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I, I think uh, it's it's an historic day. As you guys know, most of the volume is already electronic. Um, 
And I think this decision, uh, as we say in our household, sometimes it really wasn't a multiple choice question. It was time to it was time to do this. I think it was the only decision to make. Um, I, I think the exchange is more than prepared to, to do this. Um, so I don't anticipate any issues with with liquidity. Um, going back to Hurricane Sandy, the exchange was prepared to do this uh, in and around Sandy and operate the contingency plan. And I'm sure that plan's even better now. So my point is, you know, this is not a new thing that the exchange is trying. And at that time, I wouldn't describe the banks and brokers as nearly as well positioned as they are today to work remotely and work decentralized. So I, I would think it should be pretty much business as usual. Um, and, you know, unlike Sandy, where we thought we might have to do it for a couple of days, I think we should assume this will be uh, going on for quite some time. Well, does this mean that we can expect uh, some things to change after we're through with this uh, tremendous scourge where maybe people just don't come back? Uh, it, it's a good question, Jim, and you'd have to ask the people um, running the exchange now. Uh, my my view from this vantage point would be that that. Even if it's a limited amount of the volume that doesn't trade electronically, there are moments in each day, the open, the close, pockets of turbulence where it's really valuable. Uh, so I, I would expect, I, I would expect that you'll see that maybe it'll be different, but I think a lot of the people who run their business from there will come back and I, I think they'll probably go back to the model, the hybrid model that we've had, but. Uh, we'll see how it goes and we'll see how long this, this lasts as you guys were talking about before I came on. Yeah, Duncan, I mean, the, the question, of course, becomes how will behaviors change in general as a result of this crisis after uh, and hopefully as soon as possible when we're when we're through it? We, we just don't know. I mean, a lot of times things right. do go back to the way they were, but oftentimes there are moments in history that do significantly change the way business is done. Yeah, and I, I think, well, it's, it's, it's really too early to tell on this one because uh, there's so many different scenarios. You could have a fairly quick v-shaped recovery you could have a long drawn out uh, issue around all of this and i think when we know a little more we'll be able to answer that question but you're right uh sometimes these events do 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 create the opportunity to change a business model uh tied to the behaviors that you're referencing and we'll see how that goes duncan why do you think we have such illiquidity? Uh, i've never seen the futures move five seven eight points per tick uh, what is going on that the equities market, I think you and I would say, is not really working? And I, I think you were alluding to some of that, Jim, uh, when I was listening to you guys just before I came on. Um, I, I think a, a lot of the volume is, is what I would call either speculative in nature or the unwinding of leverage. I think people are not finding a lot of reasons yeah. to come in to the market right now. So I think... I think you you see a VIX at 65, 70, 75. That tells you all you need to know about underlying liquidity. Um, I, I was very pleased to see the exchange heads collaborating and being united around keeping the markets open. Um, I thought Mnuchin's idea was interesting. You, you could make a case to maybe have a shorter trading day so people had more time to consolidate liquidity and maybe think about their positions more. Do, do some more research, not watch the screens as much. But um, the, yeah. the thing that I thought you made a really good point last week, the thing that I'm finding the most troubling, uh, and we can look no further than this morning and overnight, for an example, 
the, the overnight uh, futures market it just seems to be creating a lot of stress, a lot of volatility, and I, I don't feel like it's adding to liquidity. I don't know what you think about that, but I, I just think it's all over the place, right. and I think it's, it's giving, you know, people are watching the screens overnight and getting really nervous, um, and, and they're up, down, and sideways with no rhyme or reason with how stocks open. Uh, Duncan, um, real quickly, also on this same subject, ETFs. I mean, when you were running the NYC, they were coming to the fore in terms of something right. now that is kind of the way a lot of people invest. We're seeing some weird stuff with some of these ETFs, to, to put a non-technical term on it. Are you concerned at all? Um, I, I think the ETFs have become so much of the volume, we all have to be concerned. And I'm sure a lot of people will analyze that a lot more. They've become a part of so many individuals' portfolios. And when you look underneath the covers on some of these ETFs, you know, we'll, we'll call them sector ETFs, but in point of fact, since they're cap-weighted, these are really, you know, two or three stock bets disguised as a 15-company stock portfolio. So I, I think those will all be looked at. And I, I think, um, but I think first things first, I think, uh, as you guys were talking about before I came on, you know, the next few days here are all about the are all about the Senate delivering a bipartisan package we can all get behind. Well, uh, I know we got to go to Bob, but I just just want to ask one thing to Duncan. Duncan, how can we prepare for the new for the new world? I I know we know the old world. I know that there's crying. I know people want money. I think the new world should be talked about, too, in order to give people hope. What would you want to see? I, I think we've got to see a, a few things here coming up. I think, number one, uh, I think the Fed and Treasury are doing everything they can. I think that's bought time for a bipartisan solution to come out of Congress, and I think they've got to deliver that ASAP. Um, I think we have to hope that the, that the policies we're all putting in place, the stay-at-home approach works, the virus peaks quickly, and we can get back to business and life soon. Uh, I think we all know uh, the Americans' collective resolve is unmatched anywhere else in the world. And when we think about it, you know, we're not being asked for big sacrifices. This is staying at home for a while and trying to stay healthy uh, is really not a big sacrifice. And then I, I, I hope that everybody appreciates that the medical professionals today should be thought of the way we thought of first responders after 9-11. They're today's heroes. And as you guys were alluding to, I I hope the next wave of heroes comes out of the pharma industry. You can't imagine how hard they're all working together on some of these things you were referencing. And I I think if we just follow the rules, we get policies we can all get behind that are bipartisan. And we just Take a time, take time to get through this. I I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic um, if we can turn this around quickly, given how good the environment was going into this. Yeah. Uh, uh, Good points all, uh, Duncan. Thank you. Duncan Niederauer joining us there, of course, uh, used to run uh, the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, Somebody else familiar with the New York Stock Exchange is Bob Bassani, although he hasn't seen it in a little while. Bob. Uh, good to see you again, David, of course. Uh, so you want to take a look at the futures, what 
Duncan was talking about, it creates a lot of confusion because we were down big overnight, down at one point. Uh, then we rallied at 8 a.m. Eastern time on the Treasury's announcement, which was quite remarkable. As you can see there, went in green. And then when we opened, we actually were positive and dropped down rather dramatically. And this tells you that the liquidity isn't necessarily very great pre-open, even with all of the craziness and where you would think there's massive participation. But in fact, the, the futures kind of gave us a deceptive look about how we were going to open. Uh, if you look at te- te- uh, sectors, we sort of all over the place throughout the morning here. Tech was an early leader. Uh, staples were down, though, generally. Energy's down, as you see. Industrials. Uh, REITs still not really bouncing, uh, even though uh, announcements of buying mortgage-backed security would certainly help a, a substantial part of the REIT market. Not a big mounts there. If you look at the Dow movers, uh, curious that Goldman Sachs gave an aggressive upgrade to uh, Boeing here, saying it's going to remain a going concern. Boeing, one of the few stocks that are on the upside, but bouncing all over. So 3M down, uh, United Technologies general down, but they have not been moving together recently. Exxon, United Technologies, even the consumer staples names are, are weak on top of that. I think the most important thing here this morning from my porch as an ETF watcher is is the Fed's announcement that they looks like they're going to be buying investment-grade corporate bond ETFs. That's a real difference there. Now, that's something Japan has been doing for a long time, but not in the United States. So if you look at LQD, this is the biggest corporate uh, investment-grade corporate bond out there, down 25%, rallying big time today. Uh, you've got to be careful here. Obviously, you can't just keep buying ETFs. You've got to have bids for the underlying bonds as well. So this is a sort of separate issue that goes on here about buying corporate bond ETFs. We'll have more to say on that later, a little bit later on. Haynes brand rallying. You saw what they're doing, converting production of apparel to production of cotton masks. What a remarkable turnaround there uh, for them. Haynes brand, though, as you see, also trading down. Finally, just about the temporary shut on the NYSE floor. I've been watching the action here. Everything appears to be operating fine. All trading has gone fully electronic. Uh, The SEC felt the need over the weekend to tweet out that normal market hours will apply. So you can talk all you want about closing. That's not happening. It doesn't look like shorter hours is happening anytime uh, earlier as well. I finally just note the financial services workers are essential workers, aren't exempt from that New York order to stay at home. A lot of concern about that. Finally, guys, the floor is part of a business plan. It's not part of something nostalgic. It adds value, or the owners believe it adds value, and it is important to the business differentiation model. And that's why it's there and why I think it will come back. It's part of the business plan. Guys, back to you. All right, Bob. I appreciate you talking about the corporate bond market as well. There is some concern as well about some of those short-term bond funds. You know, you never know exactly what's under the hood until a period like this. But important to point it out, as you did, the Fed uh, potentially moving into that market as well. Speaking of that market, let's get to Rick Santelli. Uh, He's not at the CME group, but I know he's out there somewhere. Hi, David. Actually, I am at the CME group. I'm just not on the CME group's trading floor with the corporate headquarters. And as you can see, uh, the entire yield curve is under pressure. The 30-year bond was off in a universe by itself. Look at an intraday of two-year note yields. Here they hover at 27 basis points. That's about down five. Now, as you move down the curve, look at an intraday of 30-year bonds. They're hovering at 142, which exactly is un changed it's unchanged 142 they were higher on the day for most of the morning we know that the knob notes over bond spread it was just under 70 basis points so that is the anomaly on the long end look at a one week of tens so here tens are at 73 uh, they are down 12 basis points right now 
Uh, everything is under pressure. They were at one point, they were at one point at 68 basis points. And of course, the equity markets have had positive volatility to the upside as we seem to hear more out of Washington that they're going to put a lot of glitter back into the system. And of course, the glitter, the liquidity is always viewed as a positive, even though exactly where it's needed. Uh, you know, there's a lot of questions as to that. Uh, we all can harken back to another time with TARP where it moved markets, where votes were either put over the top or not put over the top. Finally, foreign exchange. Look at one week of the dollar index. It was flirting with 103 touches. You see there, we haven't closed above 103 since December 2016. We've given up some ground, but all things considered, the dollar index remains strong, and that's one of the global issues, demand for dollars and being able to satisfy it. David, back to you. Okay, Rick, thank you. Uh, from the CME, though not the floor, as Rick said, You've been listening to the opening hour of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.